Hello, this is Nick. You're listening to Nick Flanagan Weekly. Kick in the theme song. Oh wait, the theme song already happened. One day when this gets really special, I'll do it. It's going to be so, so carefully put together. But for now, the theme song happened before, and I said kick in the theme song, but the theme song already happened, and you're just going to have to deal with that, my friends. And you are my friends, because the primary listening base of this show are my friends. Even if you don't know me, we're friends. Unless there is a small pocket of listeners who are my enemies, maybe we had harsh words. Maybe I offended you at some point years ago, and you've been holding on to it. Maybe you hate the cut of my jib, and you're listening to just confirm that you hate the cut of my jib. There, I don't call people haters, though. You're critics. <laughs> you're people who are critical of my existence. It is an important distinction, right? You know, criticism and the haters, because uh, that's the hater, the thing where everyone is is, is sort of calling anyone who doesn't like what they do a hater, uh, has led to, uh, I don't know, like everything, things were really mediocre since the dawn of entertainment, but... uh, we're certainly not at a high point right now. We're at a kind of middling point. There's a lot more of everything, and uh, most of it's fine. Well, that's not true, but a lot of it's fine. It's just I don't want fine. I want to be moved. And if me saying... That the show Yellow Jackets, I'll come out and say it, didn't fully move me yet. If there, that makes me a hater, put me in the, put me, put me in the fire. Throw me in the fire. Burn me alive. That's fine. I used to be a critic. Uh, I used to write reviews interviews for uh, mostly free weekly newspapers when I was in my 19, my 1920s phase when I was in the 20s age when I needed money which is the weirdest reason to get into writing for a weekly newspaper free weekly newspaper I need money what's the absolute lowest I can be paid to uh, have people angry at me because of my opinion. <laughs> and then that's when uh, podcasts came on and, and social, social media totally changed it after that, where it's like you could just not get paid to have people get furious at your opinion. But at this time, weekly newspapers, you get 25 bucks, you'd write a review of an album, and then suddenly you'd get an email. Uh telling you they hate you. 
Bands I offended with reviews include The Trues, a Canadian act from Newfoundland, and there was a guy who did an album with MF Doom, but I, the rapper, but he didn't really like, you know, in hip hop sometimes, especially when uh, internet stuff meant you didn't have to do things in the same studio. Uh, people really started just like doing collaboration albums in quotation marks. And this was just like a guy and MF Doom. Maybe they did stuff in the same studio. But they put an album out that was called... It had a name. It was it was like under MF Doom's... Uh, whatever the like vaudeville villain what version persona of his was. I think this one was called Venomous Villain. So it was like the same type of thing. But it was all collaborations and wrote a review where I was just mad that it was all collabs. I wish it was just, uh, Oh no. I'm like, it says my computer is going to restart to, to get an update together. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Anyway, it was one of these albums where you buy it thinking it's like the, the, the artist you like, but it's actually just like a bunch of uh, one verse or half of a verse and and uh, then people you never heard of doing the rest of it. And that irritated me. And it's not this guy's fault who put the album out. I mean, it is his fault, like in that he made the album, but I mean, he doesn't know people. He's just given whatever MF Doom verses he can and peppering it with other people. But and MF Doom's career is full of these kinds of albums. So I think I was just annoyed about that in general. Anyway, this dude wrote me a very offended letter. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, there's been many, many letters I've got, not from that person, where the anger is really interesting because it starts calm. I read your review. And um, I think, although it was very well written, um, you were fairly off base about a few things. And then as they start writing about the few things that they think you were off base about, they're like getting angry, putting it in writing, and then they're getting madder and madder. And at the end, they're just like, and I hope that one day your children um, pass away in front of you. They get really angry. Best George Lucas. <laughs> Yours in Christ, George Lucas, is how they end end the sentence, the letters very often. But uh Yeah. And I was like half a hater because I was trying to be funny a lot of the time. Which a lot of well, especially when you're younger, a lot of trying to be funny involves like throwing away the idea that people should care about your opinion because you're kind of being tongue in cheek and what they don't know the reader sometimes and the receiver a lot of the time is the person writing these 
funny reviews or trying to be funny holds themselves actually in lower regard than they hold you. And that is why they feel comfortable insulting the hell out of you. Because they think we're all worthy of insult. And now as I age, I just think so many less people are worthy of insult. You know? Like, I would never... It would take a lot for me to get be able to publicly eviscerate uh, or, you know, people's work. <laughs> but, frankly, a lot of it sucks. <laughs> so I should probably become that critic I want to be because someone needs to soberly criticize what's going on. Um, I would love to to read a, a a critical takedown of of some comedy specials or explaining explaining why things are good. Instead, it's always people who are either blown away or hate something, and it's like I just want to read people. Uh, you, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm getting off track, but. Basically, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I really I grew up reading film criticism in the 1960s, from the 1960s until like the mid 1990s, like really loving this film criticism that took itself and movies very seriously, and movie history very seriously, and I think in retrospect, it's a it's you know. Not the most, not all of it is the most exciting criticism, but I would love to see stuff. I think it was like people who were a little less aware that we're living in like heavy, like commercialism is compromised criticism. So they were just kind of like putting it all out there, you know, on the academic side. But now it feels like everyone who is writing criticism wants money (laughs) also and is doing what they're doing in order to continue working and having money for sandwiches. If they are sandwich eaters. God, this is such a ramble. And yet I'm going to keep on it. How did I even start it? I was talking about critics. And I literally... And the worst is someone like me. Uh... As you know, because you're listening to this. But I just mean, I've done so many things where, like, I've put something out and then I, like, have to mail it out. Different people to listen to. Try to get critics to write about it, thinking more people will listen. And when you're doing that, and then people don't like it, it's like inviting a stranger to your house cooking them dinner and then being like, tell me what you really think of it. (laughs) It's such a roll of the dice. I really shouldn't do it, but, you know, insane need for validation, both of quality and of just existence. That's that's what I've found I, I thrive on. Acknowledge that I'm a visible person. That you can see me, 
acknowledge that not only can you see me, but that it, whatever it is I'm doing, it's nice. Oh, you don't think it's nice? Well, I don't want to, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to be as good as possible. A panicked, that's my first response to criticism. Just a panicked, what do you mean? This is the best I got. And I don't even think about if it is the best I got. I'm just like immediately like, well, how could I be any better? How could the thing I'm, I can't change the thing I made. Just, isn't there anything good about it? In other words, I completely understand getting furious at critics. Anyway. I'm in a really sweet spot right now. In a really sweet spot. I think last year at some point, I was uh, doing an episode or two. Or at least I referenced this uh, place I'm cat sitting at that I've returned, I've returned to. It's in this area near what I, where I went to high school. And it's my friend Andrew used to live about a five-minute walk from here, his house. My friend Dave, about a ten-minute walk from here. Back in the day. And it's just a cute little apartment. But it's owned, and it's one half of a house. It's the second floor of a house. It's a really long apartment. There's a beautiful back room that... If I were a yoga master, I could just yoga my darn ass off there. And the cat here is great. She's named Rita. She's like the perfect house cat. You'd have to meet her to understand what I meet. I mean. You'd have to meet Rita to know what I mean. And I feel like I've had good fortune when I've been in this house. So last year I was there around September. I remember this. Because um, I wound up booking one of my rare roles. And I just realized, I don't know, that, I guess that means I haven't really booked a, 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 a acting this at all this year. But I'll go, I'll, moving on from that. Um, this is where I booked my, my famous Murdoch Mysteries part where I played a detective, a private eye. Let's just say I don't have any lines, but I'm a big part of the story. So look my name up in Murdoch Mysteries. Go watch it, and you'll have fun, I guarantee. Shout out to all the wonderful actors on Murdoch Mysteries and the directors and producers. I'd love to come back. I think my character has more to do. So I associate this place with good fortune and good sleeps. I mean, where I live, I live basically facing out onto a major street that uh, is right by a highway entrance. And I'm hearing honks. I'm hearing people yelling at each other. I don't know what I'm hearing. Terrifying sounds of school children playing as I'm trying to just eat a bowl of fruit, I have to listen to this. 
Anyway, this it's so quiet here. There's nice light. Rita the cat's nice. And I have been here for about four, five, six, seven, almost a week now, actually. And uh, finally adjusting. And I am really getting into it. And let me tell you, it's making me feel bad about the amount of space I have at my apartment. Because a big issue right now that I'm dealing with, and I can't stand, is I I really don't like... I've talked about this. It's like I have a computer. It's connected to this big TV I've got. Don't ask me how I got the TV. I got it. And fine, you can ask me. Someone said, I don't need this anymore, and then they gave it to me. That's how I got it. Okay, that's mystery solved. Anyway, I'm going, I connect my TV to this laptop. Big old TV. Great, I'm typing on this. I don't want to see my thoughts blown up a thousand percent on this TV when I'm typing them out. I don't want to journal and just like really be, feel like I'm at like a college lecture looking at a PowerPoint. When I'm ready, like, I went to the store today. Not to mention, I can go on YouTube and watch something. I can go and watch something. It's affecting my productivity. And yet, I have no easy way of putting my computer... On a desk. I haven't really sorted out. I, I was I rejigged everything a little while ago and I haven't sorted everything back out. But here, the computer, not to mention the everything's so close. Bed, couch, TV, one room, desk to the right. All within a very small thing of each other. Here, I had the computer in the TV room. And by the way, sometimes my girlfriend <laughs> listens to this podcast. And she's, like, heard a lot of this before. So uh, the fact that I'm starting to describe, like, how I've changed my setup in this house. She's turned the podcast off right now. And a lot of you haven't even heard me tell you this already. And maybe you are considering turning the podcast off. Don't do it. I need you. Anyway. My point is I moved the computer very quickly into an uh, sort of office area and so it's nowhere near my bed and it feels amazing no computer right by my bed I love it and then I didn't bring like a crazy I brought a PlayStation 2 a PlayStation 2 I didn't bring my PlayStation 4 so all my games are like very unrelated to the internet oh and I brought some DVDs I don't know what I'm doing but I brought some DVDs and uh, my friend came over last night. It was, it was like 2003 all over again. We played some PlayStation 2 games and we watched some weird DVD. Then they went home. That was my kind of night. And we hung out with the cat. What did we play? Thanks for asking. We played Metal Slug. I have a game for PlayStation 2 called Metal Slug Anthology. It's a good one. 
Metal Slug is a classic SNK shooter. It has some... It's funny. It's well-drawn. It's chaotic. It's a good time. Metal Slug Anthology. So we played Metal Slug 5, I think. It's also, at times, a little un-PC. I wouldn't call Metal Slug the birthplace of woke video games. I'll put it that way. But it's good. We played Midway Arcade Treasures. So we played a really old video game called Narc. Oh my god, Narc's so funny. You're basically these, like, I guess, narcotics policemen. And you just shoot a million drug dealers. Blow up vials of crack. It uses digitized technology from the 1980s. So it's like that weird sort of rotoscoped filmed people but in like very low resolution so it's hilarious looking and you know there's um at between levels they're like you gotta catch this guy he's a meth user okay he's a pcp addict kill him it's not that different than real life is it that was the thing they did in arcades at like every there was a period where like most of the new games had this like FBI warning winners don't use drugs cuz they knew if you were like hanging out in an arcade there was probably a guy who had a uh, you know shoulder bag full of poppers <laughs> to offer you I don't think it stopped anyone from doing drugs most of the time, because if you're playing an arcade game, you're not a winner. You can't win. It takes so many quarters. You're going to lose. So you lose the arcade game. They say winners don't do drugs. And you say, well, I just lost. Boom. Reefer. Mania. Reefer mania. And... uh yeah, and then we watched this uh, DVD of The Reptilian Agenda, which is a stupid as hell three DVD set of uh, the presenter David Icke, um, former TV presenter, former footballer, longtime conspiracy theorist. He believes in reptili- a reptilian race. That has existed for perhaps millennia. Breeding with our own race, creating reptile-human hybrids, and feeding on the blood of children. That's what David Icke thinks. And then uh, he's interviewing a Zulu shaman who recently died in 2020 at the age of 98. Zulu shaman who has had uh, uh, also beliefs in reptilians. It's a three DVD set called The Reptilian Agenda. I tried watching, and you know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Why, Nick? Why are you watching this? Because I'm from the '90s. The '90s was like sketchy culture. Was something we investigated because we foolishly. Many of us just thought, I'm not that gullible. I know, I'm strong enough in knowing 
some of my beliefs, at least, that I will not be won over by the reptilian theory. (laughs) And I'm not. And that's why I keep going. That's why I am not afraid to watch this shit. That's why I think, you know, people talk about, there's degrees of Mein Kampf. Like the guy who has a signed comfy of Mein Kampf. That's weird. You know, he's like a Republican donor. I mean, his name's Harlan Crow. He's a signed copy of Mein Kampf. That's not good. But it's like reading something like Mein Kampf as a historical document would be, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it is a historical document. It's a, you know, book of propaganda that some guy, while he was in jail, wrote uh, that wound up helping, you know, his uh, party into get into power. I mean, it's something that you need to know about and acknowledge. So you can look at this stuff, but uh, you know, don't don't look for signed copies. <laughs> I don't I don't have a signed copy of the reptilian agenda. And you know what? I think I'm I, I'm going to sell the reptilian agenda. Let me know what you think of this if you want. I, I'm going to sell this. One, you know, I have it. Sure, it's probably catering to conspiracy theorists or maybe people like myself who are just like, this is weird. I got about 30, 40 minutes. We got about 30, 40 minutes in it until we got bored and annoyed. Um, here is what everyone does when, when they're a online scam artist. Two truths and one lie. To some extent, different formulas. But there's always like the lie that's like the really bad part. That's always the thing that starts all the being mean and negative, destructive things. Donald Trump, two truths, one lie. He'll say stuff that everyone goes, oh yeah, that's right. And then, but the solution is some nightmare. Tucker Carlson, same thing. All these people. Two truths, one lie. And uh, that's what this conspiracy, the reptilian conspiracy theorists do. They're like, yeah, the British royals are reptiles. And everyone's like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then they're like, but then every, anyone in power is a reptile. And you're like, well, that, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> and then they're like, and they've created these reptile human hybrids that are eating babies. And it's actually just even also uh, communists are like this. Communists. What do they have to do with this? Tap, tap. <laughs> That's generally the response. Tap, tap. They always bring in. They go, well, first you're blaming the royals and now suddenly you're saying it's all Jewish people. How do we get there? Now, specifically, this David Icke guy apparently never... <laughs> he doesn't mean Jewish people when he says reptilians, but he did he did say something supporting the uh, very disproven, very well-known piece of propaganda, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. He said something sort of that hinted that he thought it was real. Anyway, 
I will sell this DVD on eBay at a high price. Because if you want this, and trust me, I would not sell Mein Kampf for anything that was, uh, uh, you know, anything too crazy. But this, this is a vague enough piece of ephemera that, yeah, if I can make 50 bucks off someone, I'll probably sell it. What do you think? Should I have more uh, moral qualms about it? I don't think so. The problem with this shit is it is entertainment. And then people smoke too much pot. Let's be real. Or have a thing in their brain that's going to be discovered at some point. And then they get too into it and they believe it too much. It's a shame. Two truths, one lie. Epstein didn't kill himself. A lot of perverts out there. Then the third one would be like, so it was probably the CIA in concert with every someone in every government in the world. And then they hired, uh, you know, Angela Davis to kill Epstein. Angela Davis was involved in killing Epstein. That's like the kind of thing, place where everyone takes it. That's why I'm into that True Anon podcast. I don't listen that much anymore, but, you know, I have. Uh, I did see Brace not that long ago, one of the hosts. And uh, he's. it's the idea that it's like somewhat real conspiracies is, I think, a lot healthier for people. And... Uh, then I heard he was on some sort of Twitter spaces, whatever that is, with, uh, whatever that is, with, uh, another, uh, it was about Jeffrey Epstein, and there was this guy, Benny Johnson, who's like a total schmendrick, and, uh, Benny Johnson was going on on, like, a Q-level kind of thing about, like, CIA jurisdiction and where it applies, and it was just very, like, you know, that's how these guys are. They go, the reason this thing was here was because the law is different in this space. And it's like, yeah, that applies to, like, tax shelters. But I don't know if, like, extrajudiciously killing anyone is has to do with, you know. I, I don't think organizations that are doing this are paying that much attention to law. But anyway, Brace really made this guy look dumb, which is... Not that important, frankly, because it's like anyone who thinks he looked dumb probably thought he looked dumb before Brace made him look dumb, and anyone who didn't think he looked dumb wasn't going to be convinced by this. So, uh, wow. I'm really going on and on. Anyway, if you were listening to me talking about PS2 games earlier, and all the fun games I played. Let me tell you some games that you can get cheap for your PlayStation 2. If you have a PlayStation 2. And you're worried some games cost a lot. These are games I'm going to say, look for them if you're interested in them. And if you see that they're expensive, keep looking, you'll find a cheap one. And these are bang for your buck ones too. So first of all would be Grand Theft Auto games. Um, 
Vice City, San Andreas, you can still find pretty cheap if you look enough. So if you want to get involved in the PlayStation 2 era, Grand Theft Autos, and the same goes for Grand Theft Auto 4 for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, you can get those super cheap. And you know, if you like those kinds of games, they provide a lot of entertainment. So you can buy those. The Metal Gear Solid games, which people just love, are... uh, also, you could probably find those for like 10 to $15, so Metal Gear uh, 2 and 3, but not subsistence. You, if you, can, find, you can find Sons of Liberty and uh, Snake Eater for pretty cheap. People are selling them for more, but, and I'm, I might try to sell them for more, but you, by looking, can find those for pretty cheap. And... Uh, Another thing that is like, I was talking about the Metal Slug game, which is like an amazing Neo Geo SNK games. And they, the way I was playing them was a PlayStation 2 one called Metal Gear Metal Slug Anthology. And it's not, uh, it's not a perfect port of the games, but it's totally good enough. It's really good. That game has, as an anthology, has gone up, unfortunately, in price. But uh, a lot of other stuff that are like anthologies you can get for pretty cheap, like Mega Man X Collection or the Mega Man Collection for PS2, you can still get pretty cheap if they want them. And those are cool games. They're not the best ports, but but they're cool games. And uh, then I would say, like, if you can get Taito Legends or uh, I Got the Best of Midway, Volume 2, like, the compilations of old arcade games really... PlayStation 2 has a bunch of them, and those are often not that expensive. And I would say a lot of the time, those are really good. I didn't really like Namco Museum. Like, you should kind of look into it, because some of them have, like, weird... They change the games a bit. But, yeah, the Midway Treasures one, Midway Arcade Treasures is good, and Title Legends, I think, is also good. And Capcom has them, too. Those are pretty good, too. So that's a good way to play, like, your... And then Street Fighter Anthology, the Alpha Anthology is still pretty cheap, and that's one of the best. My fa- that's probably my favorite Street Fighter franchise. So yeah, you could get Street Fighter and Alpha Anthology for probably like twenty five bucks if you look for it. So yeah, just a few cheap games for you to enjoy. This has been a game. Uh, has this? I, I feel like this hasn't been that. You know, I haven't talked about mental health. I don't have any information about things I've sold recently because I feel like I actually haven't sold anything in the last couple of weeks. But um, let's give you like some mental health updates. It's sunnier out and everyone feels better. <laughs> That's just how it works. It's crazy in this city. The, the difference in mood is so palpable. Um... For me personally, yeah, like having more space has been really, really nice. Having more light has been really, really nice. Switching to a quieter neighborhood has been nice, you know. I don't know. I don't really care all the time if, if I'm in a loud neighborhood, but, but a break from it is, is super lovely. And I'm sad about, like, not... 
like I really want to be doing a ton of comedy. You have no, you have no idea. You have no idea. I love doing stand up. I love it. But, goddamn, how do so many comedians have ADHD when such an important part of doing comedy is emailing someone, having a clip of you doing comedy, and asking if you can get on their show? How do they do it? I do it, but it's in, I'm not if I'm out of the loop for it. And a lot of times I don't even need to offer a clip locally because I know people, even out of town, because I know them. But it's just the reach out and doing it in time that's so hard to do. So that is where I'm frustrated right now is the ADHD getting in the way of reaching out so that then in the future I can do some damn comedy shows. I have a few coming up. If you're listening and it's before June 15th, here are the shows. I'm doing um, the, the Transac, my favorite, one of my favorite shows, Cosmic Country for Communists, and they're every month. That is going to be on... Where's my calendar? That is June... I think it's going to be June 10th, but don't quote me. Um, do quote me. You can quote me anytime. June 8th. I will be doing comedy at 10 p.m. at the Transact. Sunday, June 10th, I will be doing comedy at 2.30 p.m. On the tran- at the Transact. Thursday, June 15th, you can find me at the tra- uh, <laughs> a Comedy Bar, where I'll be performing at Laugh Sabbath. So the 8th, the 10th, and the 15th. That's what I've got so far. And you may say, wow, that's a lot. That's three shows in like two weeks. Yeah, but then I might not have a show for another two weeks. And the fact is, I gotta, I gotta be rehearsing it. That's how I practice it. Gotta get back to my practice. And that's really just like the main challenge right now. It's just, you know, being able to successfully get into a sustainable rhythm and routine. Hang on. Being able to do things day to day. Being able to get over the hump of not doing things and doing things. Waking up, saying, ah, look at the light pouring in. Now I'm going to meditate. Then meditating and then saying, oh, I'm going to go journal now. Journaling. Saying, oh, you know, the gym is right up the street. I'm going to go there. Then you go to the gym and everyone looks at you and they're like, God, this guy's so hairy. But you don't care because you're doing your work. You're doing the work. And you go home and say, well, now it's Tuesday. I'm going to record the podcast. And then be like, but you know, I'm going to eat first. I want my energy. Anyway, you get it. So the main struggle right now is to create a schedule. How are you doing on your schedule? Let me know. 
weeklypodcast at gmail.com, W-E-A-K-L-Y podcast at gmail.com. Are you experiencing these challenges where Gmail is just like, I'm full. I'm so full. You got to pay a little money and then I won't be full. And it's like, well, I'm already paying Apple money because they said told me they were full. Why is everyone telling me they need more space? I don't have, I need space. Why can't I charge someone to make it so I have more space? You know? Anyway, I'm not going to make it. I've already got iCloud, Dropbox. I'm not going to let Gmail charge me. So if you know (laughs) a way around Gmail and their space constraints, email me at weeklypodcast.gmail.com. You are loved. You are special. You are worthy of your name or perhaps even better than your name. I'll see you later.